Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kedshenu B'Mitzvotav, V'Tzivanu La'asok B'Divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. I want to talk about an apparent inconsistency in the teachings of Yeshua, one that you also may have recognized. On one hand, Yeshua says, let your light shine before people that they would see your good works. And on the other hand, Yeshua says, pray in secret, give your alms in secret, and do your acts of righteousness in secret. As we examine this apparent inconsistency, I hope you'll learn something about how to study such matters. And even more, I hope that you'll become stronger and more decisive about your own motivations and your actions. So let's jump in and turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Yeshua says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So that's the first passage, and it says, let your light shine before people so that they may see your good works. And then the second passage right after it is in Matthew chapter 6, the first four verses. Yeshua says, be careful not to practice your righteousness or righteous deeds in front of others in order to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets in order to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So here we have the the dilemma. Are we supposed to do things publicly and visibly, or are we supposed to do them secretly and, and out of the view of everyone? With that in mind, let's read again and go through the first passage. And I want to underline something that I think is the key point. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16, and I think this is the crux of the matter here, in the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before people so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, let's look at verse 16 carefully. Let your light shine before people. In the same way that a city set on a hill is not meant to be hidden in a light, a lamp, is not put under a basket, but on a lampstand. They are visible. They're meant to be seen. They give light to other people, and they're useful. And so this says in the same way, let your light shine before people. Let your light shine before people. Now, here's the key, and some of the translations in English don't capture that. Let your light shine before people so that, 
or in order that they may see your good works and, here's the key, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we have a key detail that sometimes people gloss over. It's at the end of the passage. It's at the end of verse 16, the end of the sentence. And some people just sort of uh, erase it in their minds or consider that detail to be unimportant. But let's look carefully at what what Yeshua is saying. He's saying, let your light shine before people so that They may see your good works and so that they glorify your Father who is in heaven. So here is the purpose that Yeshua is underlining as a good purpose. It's a purpose that our good works would be seen by others and they would glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's the purpose. That's the motive. So the main point is not about deliberately hiding our good deeds. Instead, the main point is about the motivation and the outcome of what we do. It's not for publicity that boosts our ego. It's so that God in heaven is glorified, so that he's honored. And that is also in The second passage, which says to do things in secret. Let's look at it again. Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. Don't do it in order to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. You'll get the reward that that public um, goal is uh, motivating you to uh, receive. You want the public motivation. You want the public recognition. That's the main thing. And let's let's keep going. In verse 2, you'll see this nuanced detail that Yeshua adds. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets in order to be honored by others. Aha, Yeshua is saying this, and let's not gloss over it. This is so important. It's the inner motivation. If you're giving to the needy and you're making it public and visible because you want to be honored by others, then you'll receive honor, but not from the Lord. You'll receive honor from people, but not from the Lord. You'll get what you want, but it's not the best. There is more better. So what is more better? What could we say? The the more better is really to have this desire to use our lives, our resources, all that God has taught us and provided for us to use all of that in such a way that it brings glory and honor to the Lord. And it's visible to other people who will be able to recognize that the Lord's blessing is not just upon us, but the Lord is a God who blesses and they will honor the Lord in this way. So it's not for the sake of our ego or our need to be needed or our need to be recognized. Oh, it's good to recognize people and to tell them when they do well between you and another person between you and me. This 
Um, each of us needs encouragement. We need a certain recognition. But that if that's the only reason why we're doing something, because we get the recognition, you know what? Then the main purpose is not being accomplished. We're not bringing honor to the Lord. We're bringing honor to ourselves. And we'll get that honor, but we won't get the Lord's honor. We won't honor him. So what seems like an inconsistency when we look only at the issue of public or private matters is not really our motivation is what is so important. So what is our motivation? Is it to honor the Lord or is it to bring honor to ourselves? This is really the question. Now, the Apostle Peter writes about this also in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. And he's talking to Jewish believers in Messiah who live in the diaspora. And he is telling them that they could expect some uh, bad treatment, maybe some anti-Semitism, maybe some hostilities, even slander from people around them. People will be making accusations against them, but not to just be stuck on that. This is what Peter says. Always let others see you behaving properly, even though they may still accuse you of doing wrong. Now, I think Peter is really insightful about human nature and human behavior. And here's, here's the fact that he is trying to communicate to us. People may accuse you of doing wrong, even when you're doing right. So that may be the case. But Peter is encouraging all of us, I believe, to have patience. And look at what he says. Always let others see you behaving properly, even though they may still accuse you of doing wrong. And then on the day of judgment, they will honor God by telling the good things they saw you do. So, again, let your good deeds shine before others. You may face misunderstanding. You may face anti-Semitism. You may face hostility against being a Messianic believer, against believing Yeshua is the Messiah. You may face slander. You may face false accusations. But the day will come, Peter says, the day will come when your good works will speak. And those who are hostile, at least some of them, will see your good works, and they will honor God, and they will talk about the good that they saw you do. So I want you to take this to heart, because here's something we can all learn, that God has a way. It may be slow, it may not be according to our timetable, but he has a way of working good, even through difficult circumstances. When our hearts are right, and when our purposes are right, when our motivations are good, when we're honest with the Lord, and when we are expressing integrity and sincerity to him, he will cause all things to work together for good. When we hold on to his purposes, and we love God, and we're trusting him, even when we faced heartache and disappointment and false accusation and slander, and you, you know, you know how it can be. So what we learn 
what we actually take to heart and what we embrace for ourselves that's useful to help us change, this is even more powerful than trying to fix other people. The best form of evangelism is evangelism that is an expression of the good news that others can see and recognize. It's not just telling other people, though telling is part of it. It's being the kind of person who can do good in such a way that others will recognize it. And it's not because we're trying to just do good and have this effect. It's because we recognize that doing good brings honor to the Lord. Even if people may accuse us, even if there's hostility, even if there's misunderstanding, God will work it all out. So be patient. Now, Psalm 105, the first two verses, also build on this. Psalm 105, verse 1 says, Hodulad and I give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make his deeds known among the peoples. Verse 2, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all of his wonders. So here we are giving, getting some more insight as we receive some more direction from the Lord and from those who follow him. Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make his deeds known among the peoples. We are to make the deeds of God known to other people to other nations, to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends. And we are also to express those wonderful things to the Lord and to sing to him and to sing praises to him. So I want you to think about this for a moment because it's not really about Bible thumping, if you know what I mean. And it's not about trying to be so forceful, you push things down other people's throats. That doesn't work. What does work? It's the more better, if you will, that Yeshua is talking about. We're called to be a city set on a hill, a light that's shining, and that our good works are visible and that they have the ability to speak for themselves. And I want you also to, to see something. All of this helps us deal with an age-old question. I'm sure you've been asked it at some time. In fact, you may have asked it yourself. That age-old question, where was God when such and such happened? Where was God when this terrible thing happened? Where was God during the Holocaust, for example? That's just one common form of the question. Well, we can have some answers if, if we know that God was with us and that God was here doing good on behalf of us when we needed him, doing good on behalf of other people. God was here doing good through people who were honoring him. God was here with us during times of suffering, suffering together with us, not leaving us alone. God was here with us, giving us courage, building our faith, strengthening our hope, building our courage and our resolution and our perseverance as we decide to continue to follow the Lord. 
In the weeks to come, our team will be sharing with you some stories of courage and faith, and I believe they will build you up. And now I want to move to a second part of our study that builds on what we're talking about. And it's also about motivations and actions. So let's look again at the story of Naaman or Naaman, the Syrian leper. We looked at one part of this last week. And if you didn't hear that or you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to listen to the podcast or to watch the video on Facebook or YouTube. And I hope that the story of Naaman, the Syrian leper, becomes familiar to you. It was familiar to Yeshua, as you can imagine, but here it is in Luke 4.27, where Yeshua says, there were many in Israel with leprosy. The Hebrew word is tzarat, uh, a spiritual kind of leprosy, in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, Naaman, the Syrian. So Yeshua is speaking about the Syrian who was cleansed by the Lord. It's an important story, and I think it will help us. And as a reminder from last week, the Syrian general Naaman was healed of leprosy through the ministry of the prophet Elisha from Israel. And the healing took place during a time of great conflict between the people and the governments and the military of Syria and Israel. Now, tonight we're going to pick up the story after the healing. So turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5, starting in verse 15. Then Naaman returned to the man of God, to Elisha, with all his company, and he came and he stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant now. Just to remind you, Naaman had brought with him a lot of gold, a lot of silver and quality clothing that was meant to be a gift for Elisha. And also it was meant to motivate Elisha to bring healing, to do whatever was necessary so that, that Naaman would be healed. Verse 16, but Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will accept nothing. Now, Naaman urged him to accept it, but Elisha refused. Verse 17, then Naaman said, if not, please let your servant be given two mules load of earth, for your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering nor a sacrifice to other gods, but only to the Lord. So Naaman's heart now is to worship the Lord. Something has deeply changed inside of him. The healing and the, the humility of coming to this Jewish prophet, the prophet from Israel, this, the humility that the Syrian general had and his response in his heart. They're working together in a powerful way. And Naaman has a heart to worship God. And he says, your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering nor a sacrifice to other gods, but only to the Lord. He literally was asking to take some dirt, some of the holy land back to Syria. 
as if there was special power maybe or special grace in that land. I don't know exactly what his thinking was. It wasn't fully explained. This detail is just mentioned that he wants two mules load of earth. But he's telling us something clear. He told Elisha this. I'm not going to personally be offering any burnt offerings or sacrifices to other gods, but only to the Lord. Now, verse 18, regarding this matter, this is Naaman continuing. Regarding this matter, may the Lord forgive your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there. And he leans on my hand and I bow down in the house of Ramon. When I bow down in the house of Ramon, may the Lord please forgive your servant in this matter. So Naaman now has a heart of worship and he is saying to the prophet Elisha, I am going to be loyal exclusively to the Lord. I will never offer sacrifices to other gods like Ramon, like I had before, like my master will continue to. I'm not going to do it. But I know I will find myself in some awkward moments. And Naaman understood that he would be facing those awkward situations. And he gave serious thought about what was ahead. And he opened up the apparent conflict. He didn't conceal it. He didn't try to smooth it over. He didn't try to misdirect Elisha about it. Instead, he was candid. And he expressed it this way, may the Lord forgive me. So to make it simple, Naaman recognized that when he went back, even though his heart was for the Lord, as a servant of the king of Syria, he would find himself in the temple of Ramon, where he would have to accompany his king when he was worshiping. And he saw that as a conflict. And he understood he would have to do it, but he understood also where his own heart was. And how do we know where his heart is? He's telling it forthrightly. He is being so straight. He understood that it was going to be awkward and it even would be an apparent conflict. But he's sincere and he's asking for forgiveness because he knows that on the outside, it it doesn't look right. And in some ways, it's not right. But he's asking for grace and forgiveness because he sees this. And he's given really serious thought. He's, he's, um, he's candid and, and he's sincere. And so verse 19 is something to pay very close attention. Elisha said to Naaman, go in peace. You know what I saw? in this. Elisha is just so decisive and so concise, two very powerful qualities that, that are worth taking note of. And Elisha responds with graciousness to Naaman. Remember, the fact that Naaman was even healed by the Lord, that was an, already an expression of God's grace and the humility that Naaman had in coming for healing to the prophet Elisha. That 
also was an indication of grace. And so I want you to see this, that there are some inner motivations that are going on that we need to pay attention to because the outward actions and the inner motivations are working together. Now the story continues. But before it does, take a moment to think about some alternative reactions that Elisha could have had. He could have given Naaman a big lecture. He could have told him, not good enough, Naaman. Either you you never go into that temple again, or you know, you can't say you love the Lord and you want to serve the Lord. No, Elisha was very human and very gracious, and he says, go in peace. Now, the story continues, and the story turns now. It's still, I think, important because it's showing us how inner motivation and outward action are both important, but the story becomes quite challenging. And it says, so Naaman went some distance away from Elisha. Verse 20, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, thought. So that thought, I want you to pay attention, that thought is inside the mind of Gehazi. And this was his thought. Behold, my master has spared this Naaman, the Aramean, the Syrian, by not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. Verse 21, so Gehazi pursued Naaman. Now, I think there are two justifications or rationalizations that are going on inside of Gehazi. One is, he's thinking, my master spared Naaman. He shouldn't have done that. Naaman came with a lot of money, and Elisha should have taken it. He should have received it. And at least, uh, I'm reading this into... Uh, the text, but I think there's reason for it. I think Gehazi was saying, I deserved some of that money for myself. I needed it. I didn't have enough money for myself and all that I want to do. And then the second rationalization is just the use of religious language as the Lord lives. You know, sometimes people try to uh, mix in religious language so that everything sounds religious or spiritual when it's not. Now let's continue reading. When Naaman saw someone running after him, he came down from the chariot to meet him and said, is everything well? Is, is everything okay? Verse 22. And Gehazi said, everything is well. My master has sent me. That wasn't true. My master has sent me saying, behold, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. That also wasn't true. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. So Gehazi's words mislead Naaman. And I think that Gehazi carefully chose his words in order to get the response from Naaman that he was looking for. He wanted money. He wanted uh, wealth from Naaman for himself. And he had thought, what could I say? How could I say it that would cause Naaman to agree? So 
careful thinking is going on here. Carefully chosen words that are meant to mislead. Take note of that. Because when, when people choose words carefully in order to mislead, it's a reflection of the condition of the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So remember, um, Naaman carefully chose his words when he was speaking to Elisha, and he was talking about the awkwardness and the conflict, and he was very candid and open about what he expected to experience, what he was going to do, and how he was asking for forgiveness and grace uh, in that circumstance. He carefully chose his words because he thought carefully about that. Gehazi carefully chose his words because he thought carefully about it. Verse 23, so Naaman says, be sure to take two talents. Gehazi had asked for one talent of silver, but Naaman says, take twice as much, two talents. It's a lot of money. And so he urged him and he tied up two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of clothes. And he gave them to two of his own servants and they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand, he deposited them in the house and he sent the men away and they departed. Verse 25, now Gehazi went in and he stood before his master and Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And Gehazi said, your servant went nowhere. I want you to see something. The statement that begins, your servant, it starts with language that's meant to be the language of respect, but it's not genuine. Gehazi is really doing something that is disrespectful. Verse 26, and then Elisha said to Gehazi, did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? The Targum, one of the translations of the uh, Tanakh, paraphrases it this way. Um, Elisha said to him, by the spirit of prophecy, I was informed about what you did when you went to see the man in his chariot. And then Elisha says to Gehazi, is it a time to accept money and to accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, sheep, oxen, and male and female slaves? Some commentators um, put it this way. Elisha said, was this a proper occasion for such behavior? And one even adds this thought that the prophet is saying to his servant, you should make an effort, a careful effort, and study and learn how to handle such matters. You're among the prophets. You have to learn the ethics of the prophets and understand the boundaries. This is your responsibility. And then... The Targum inserts this explanatory statement, and thou thoughtest in thy heart to purchase olive yards. So the Targum is, is adding this comment of clarification. Do you really know how to live 
among the prophets of Israel? Do you really know what the ethics are and what the boundaries are and what our purposes are? Do you not do you not see what you've done? Your motivation was to get money so that you could buy some olive groves and buy vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female slaves because that's what you want. That's what you want. And you saw this as an occasion to get what you want. Folks, sometimes we cannot do what's in our heart because what's in our heart isn't good. That was the case for Gehazi. And Elijah is saying to him, you did wrong and you didn't prepare yourself. You didn't think through this in the right way. You thought through it according to your hidden desires and they've been exposed. Now we see. Ooh, strong confrontation. Verse 27 Elisha continues, therefore, the leprosy of Naaman, the Tzarat of Naaman, will cling to you and your descendants forever. And so Gehazi went out from Elisha's presence, afflicted with leprosy, white as snow. Tough story, isn't it? But here's what's interesting. God continued to use Gehazi with Elisha. Somehow Gehazi accepted the rebuke. Maybe he didn't have a full response, but he had some kind of response. He didn't go away from Elisha. He stayed together. It's a very challenging story, but it shows us how the way that the heart is working is really important, and the actions that we take are very important. So we're going to close with this thought that our motivations and our actions do work together, and both are important. Sometimes motivation is the more important factor, and sometimes action is the more important factor, but always they're both important and significant. Let's pray that we'll be decisive and insightful in these matters about ourselves and the situations we find ourselves in so that we'll grow in hope and courage as we set our hearts on following Yeshua, the author, and the finisher of our faith. Well, in a moment, we're going to close with Aaron's blessing. But first, I want to encourage you to consider standing with us and supporting our ministry. If you want to do that, you can find out all of the information by going to our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. Now, Aaron's blessing. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, Ya'er Adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha, Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasem lecha. Shalom. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace.